If you want to follow along for just a moment, open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. What you have seen thus far this morning is very much the satellite image of the book of Hebrews. In that in our flyover, we've taken uh, the wide-angle lens, and that particular book has given us a glimpse, has given us some insight into the greatness of the person of Christ and the uniqueness of his work. That is what we celebrate in both baptism and in our observance of the Lord's Supper. That is, that Christ is once and for all the full payment, the one who actually accomplishes our salvation, our redemption. And so we saw four things in our readings, that Jesus is God's final testimony, final revelation of God to man. One of the problems we see in the contemporary world is the the claim that there is ongoing revelation of and to God. Jesus is God's final statement uh, to man. And he is superior. He's consistent with what came before him, but he is also superior to that which came before him. And then Jesus is that prophet that was promised long ago, like unto Moses. So he is the perfect prophet that calls men and women to repentance. And then he is that that final high priest. He is perfect. He doesn't need to offer sacrifices for his own sins because he is perfect. And so he can give attention to our sin. And he has made the way for us to come before God the Father. And again, to petition him for that which concerns us. And then Jesus is that final and effective sacrifice. Now, that which was offered under the old covenant always looked forward to Jesus. Whatever was slaughtered and whatever blood was sprinkled there in the Holy of Holies, it it foreshadowed Jesus. But in the end, it could not ultimately redeem. It could not save. It, It could not cleanse humanity from their sinfulness. And so Jesus Christ, as that final sacrifice, ultimately accomplished our salvation. And so this morning I want to to show you four applications or or four warnings based on the reality of who Jesus is and what he has accomplished. There in Hebrews chapter 2, the writer tells us that we must pay much closer attention. One of my father's favorite admonitions to me was pay attention because I was prone to what? Not pay attention. And so this writer, much like my father, says God has revealed himself. It is clear. It is simple. God's testimony God's salvation has been made manifest, and His name is Jesus Christ. Expect no one or nothing else. Now pay attention. Therefore, don't neglect. Do not neglect this great truth, the the way of 
salvation is abundantly clear to all men in all places at all times. And so he asked the question then, having seen and having heard this great testimony of the gospel of God, the saving work of Jesus Christ, then the question is asked of us, how shall we escape if we neglect? If we neglect such a great salvation. Now, this book of Hebrews was written to exceptionally religious people. And this writer is saying to the religious people of that day and the religious people of this day in 2019 in Clay, Alabama, that your religion is not enough. I ran across a book this week, and I thought the title was interesting. I'm not sure how good it is, but I'm going to check it out. The Unsaved Christian. Now, if there's ever been a paradox or an oxymoron or whatever you want to call it, that's it. There's really no such thing. So what's he talking about? That the woods are full, particularly here in the buckle of the Bible belt, of those that are cocksure that they're going to heaven when in fact they should be fearful that they're not. And so it's puncturing the veil or the veneer of what's often called cultural Christianity. I recently played in a golf tournament with a retired FBI agent, so I had to be on my best behavior. Imagine that. And we got to talking about some of the shenanigans that have gone on in Birmingham, Alabama in the 23 years I've been here. City, county, corporate corruption. And I guarantee you, if you ask every single one of those at the core of the corruption, they would have said, I'm a Christian. Now, so, folks, something's wrong with that picture. Something's wrong with that picture. And so this writer said to them 2,000 years ago, says to us here today, don't neglect. It's clear. It's plain. Second warning, if you want to flip over to chapter 3. The writer of Hebrews uses the illustration, the example of the Exodus generation. The, we just finished our resurrection celebration and tied it into Passover. Brother Josh did Passover with our youth and our, our children. And all of those things are pictures of salvation. Now, Passover in the Exodus was not the reality of salvation. It was a picture of salvation, that is a deliverance from the great slave master Pharaoh to the promised land of God. And both Paul and the writer of Hebrews says, you need to look at those folks because they left Egypt expecting to enter the promised land. But what happened to them? They hardened their hearts and they ultimately wound up in unbelief. Now, think about what they saw. They saw Pharaoh broken, ultimately drowned by a sea that had parted. They saw a, a cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. They saw food provided for them on a daily basis. They saw some great things. 
that they failed to receive that which they saw. And so this writer says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. I think I mentioned this on uh, Wednesday night in our Bible study. As you sit here today, you will not leave here the same as you entered this room. You will either be closer to God or you will be further away. Your heart will be more broken by the reality of your own sinfulness and you will come to a deeper realization of the depth and the power and the majesty of God's grace or you will neglect or your heart will harden and you will be in profound spiritual danger. The writer goes on in verse 12, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. As I stand before a congregation week in and week out, that would really summarize one of my greatest concerns, that those under my care that God has charged me to tell them each and every week the truth of the Word of God, that they could persist, that they could neglect, that they could miss the way of salvation, wind up with hardened hearts, and ultimately be unbelievers at the end of the day. One of the things we'll see in just a moment, the writer goes on in verse 13, but exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin will mess you up. Sin will mess you up. And why do we get together each week? Well, one of the reasons, first and foremost, is to honor God. But there's another important reason we gather, and that is to encourage one another as we live in a discouraging world that, you know what? God is going to be faithful, and He is going to bring us home safely. It's easy to forget that, isn't it? Very easy to forget that. So the second warning is do not harden your heart. The third one, go to chapter 6. Now, I'll repeat myself for the 422nd time in my 16, almost 16 years of serving as the pastor of this church. If you're going to be an Armenian, you ought to know what that is by now. If you don't, go home and Google it. If you're going to believe that your salvation is something that you gained by something that you did by the exercise of your free will, then you ought to go ahead and believe that you can lose it by being stupid. That you can lose it by sinning away your salvation. Well, here's your passage if that's what you want to believe. Here's your passage. And everyone that rejects the concept or the doctrine that salvation can be lost ought to study this passage so they know why it can't be lost. If you, I mean, the people that believe this, there's a lot of them that aren't crazy. Now, a few of them are. But, but they're, for the most part, they've been godly men that came to a different conviction about what the Bible teaches. 
but you ought to think about it soberly. Because the, the warning matters. And the warning is this. Let us leave elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Now, what does that mean? Put on your big boy, your big girl britches. Right? That means press on to the meat of Scripture. That means grow up in your salvation. That means to immerse yourself very, very deeply in the Word of God so that you understand. Now listen, will there be things that you don't fully understand this side of heaven? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Okay? But let me tell you something. You can understand a lot more than you do sitting there having neglected your Bible for the last week, month, year, decade. Okay? You can grow. It's interesting as I kind of interact with these young mothers. You talk to these young mothers. They know the mile markers of their kids. Six months, nine months, 12 months, 18 months, two years, two and a half years. They know what they're supposed to be doing, right? And if they don't, there's some serious investigation as to why they don't hit those mile markers, right? Well, as Christians, guess what? Just as that physical child grows up in, their, in the physical realm, we are to grow up. That is the normative thing for the Christian life, to pursue the truth of God so that we grow in our salvation. And ultimately, again, the, the warning there in verse 4 is that there may be some that are enlightened. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean saved? Or does it mean that they're just some that agree with me? Just because you agree with me does not mean that you're a Christian. That's a good sign, of course, but that was supposed to be funny. Okay, It's a good sign if you agree with me, but it's not definitive. In fact, it's not definitive if you agree with everything the Bible says. I can't tell you how many of my friends. Well, I'm a conservative Christian. I believe everything just like Tim does. Yeah. And I have real fear. I have real fear regarding their souls. I can't puncture that veneer. Yeah, I'm good. I, you know, I did this when I was 10 years old. I got it. So be careful. Because it's possible to see something of Jesus Christ as God's final revelation and the great prophet. And it, it's possible to, to come into some kind of knowledge of Jesus, but then ultimately turn away and determine that this is not defining, this is not the definitive reality of my life. And as you well know, what I think he's saying is, it's not that they were saved and now they're not, it's ultimately what? They were never saved to begin with. They knew something about Jesus but they didn't know Jesus. And so, do not fall away. Examine yourself. And again, he goes on to speak of this profound danger of a fruitless life. Abiding in Christ is a fruitful life. It may not be a very big fruit. 
It may, it may not be an abundant harvest, but there's something of the character of Christ that begins to show in the heart and in the life of the believer. The final thing in chapter 10. Pastor Tim read a good bit of this a moment ago. One of the kind of the hobby horses that I've ridden for years and years and years. Simply put, come to church. Now, I, I probably won't do this. And I'm, you know, I'm not a big fan of the corny signs on the road in front of churches. You know, turn or burn or whatever that kind of stuff is. I have to stop Josh. Every single, no, Josh, you can't put that out there on the street. I think I'm right. There's a place down on I-65 almost to Montgomery. There used to be a sign that says, go to church or the devil will get you. Is that right? Okay, yeah. Well, the writer of Hebrews seems to think that's a significant issue. The people of God ought to desire to gather in the house of God for the purpose of encouraging the other people of God and hearing together from the Word of God. That should be just normal stuff. And so the writer says we have confidence now because of the blood of Christ. We have entree to God through the blood of Jesus Christ so we may draw near we may know him intimately and so we're to hold fast now here's the thing no matter how hard you think you're holding on his grip and his grasp is far stronger upon you than you upon him he's got you He's got you. So hold fast, gather to encourage one another. And don't fail to do it. And so we gather today, it's already been mentioned. The best way I can think of to start any worship service is to baptize those who are ready to profess publicly their faith in Christ. You know why? Because it encourages all of us to say the gospel is still being proclaimed and God is still at work. He's drawing men and women and boys and girls to salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ. And that excites me. And see, so I look out at all of y'all and I can tell how excited you really are. Now calm down. It's okay. Calm down. Okay? You'll get too hot in here. But that's a great thing. And to be reminded that because of Christ, my sins are forgiven. Any of y'all had a bad week this week? Don't raise your hand. I'll be the representative hand. Any of you sinned? Any of you blew it this week? Well, listen. This is the reminder that Jesus paid it all. Let's pray together. Father, once again, we thank you for your word to us, the things that you have given to us whereby we are reminded of the gospel of your grace. Lord, may we live in light, may we live in hope 
of the perfection, of the consummation of all that you have promised to those who love you down through all of the ages. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name.